We'd like to go to Thessalonians tonight, chapter 4. We were sort of jokingly laughing about the session tonight because I'm only going to cover four verses. If it were a necessity, I could cover them in less than 15 minutes. And I worked three and a half hours on them this afternoon, and I'd worked them quite a number of times before, but never to the end that I wrote this stuff down in detail. The reason I quit with the eighth verse of the fourth chapter the last time is because I just wanted to handle in one session four verses. Because immediately after 9, 10, and 11 of 1 Thessalonians 4 should be chapter 5. And that begins the greatest knowledge, this plus 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest knowledge in the Word of God on the gathering together and the resurrections. Now 2 Thessalonians, of course, has some scriptures coming up later. And yet, these four verses that precede this opening of this great section, which teaches us basically from God's word everything that can be known about the gathering together and the resurrections. This and Corinthians, as I said, they are just unbelievably beautiful. No words in my vocabulary to describe their greatness. I'll do my best to show you some of it tonight. But you're just going to have to live the word and let the word live in you. And this will grow more richly in you day after day and year after year. I'd like to just have you look at the eighth verse and the concluding section of that eighth verse. God, who hath also given unto you his, the holy, the spirit. That is the great tremendous truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the new birth, the fullness of the Spirit. And then we get to the last four verses. And if you begin to see that this is all a buildup in the greatness of the revelation of God's word to get you to the gathering together. And the four last verses preceding the teaching in God's word on the gathering are just unparalleled any place in the word. So let's see what we can get into. But, verse 9, As touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. First of all, everything that's written in these four verses had been communicated with the personal presence of Paul as well as of Timothy, had already been communicated to them. And it's simply set here in writing because it's God's will that it be recorded and that is addressed to the body of the church. The same church body that 
was in existence in Thessalonica and also in Macedonia, as he mentioned. The first word but sets that which now follows in contrast to the one-time fullness of the gift of Holy Spirit. That's the conclusion of verse 8, with also given you his, the Holy, the Spirit. But, so spiritually we're lacking how much? Nothing. But, but, you know, you can be spiritually loaded to the hilt and not manifest anything, not really walk, not really have love, not really be honest, not really be tender and forgiving and understanding. This word but is in contrast to the one-time fullness of the gift. There's a one-time giving of the gift, but our walk is always to keep growing. You just keep on growing because you consistently keep renewing your mind. And day after day, you get a better renewed mind than you had the day before. That's why the word but is there. It's in contrast. Do you understand this? The one-time fullness of the gift of verse 8, he's given unto you his Holy Spirit. But it's not axiomatic that that Holy Spirit operates automatically within us. But in contrast, we have to keep on growing by renewing our minds. And then as touching, touching, brotherly love. The word brotherly love is one word, Philadelphia. That's the Greek word, Philadelphia. But as touching brotherly love. When you're first born again of God's spirit and you begin walking for God, the love of God and the renewed mind in manifestation for all of God's born-again children is not too high because you will like one person a little better than you like another person. When that is still in your spiritual blood, the highest you can go is the Philadelphia. That's why this word is used, brotherly love here. You understand? See, when you begin to walk on God's word, you know, there's just something about some people you never like as much as you like other people. They just don't turn you on like other people. But when you once have the renewed mind and really put on the love of God in the renewed mind, you move from Philadelphia to the agapeo kind of love. And here he's talking Philadelphia type. But he's talking to Christians. They're born again. They're born again. As touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. Literally means shouldn't be necessary that I write to you. Why? He's already told them this. He's already told them this. Shouldn't really be necessary. Because certainly... The least that you start with when you're born again is brotherly love. Maybe you stole from your brother before, but once you get born again, you're not going to steal from him. Because you know if, you, if he stole from you, that wouldn't be nice. So you have this brotherly love type of thing. 
frequently I describe it as you scratch my back, I scratch your back. That's brotherly love. No need that I write unto you. Should not be necessary for me to write this. For ye yourselves are taught of God. For. For, the preposition for. Is simply a building up of evidence from the preceding statement. Touching brotherly love. I don't have to write unto for. Ye yourselves. Ye, ye, ye yourselves. That's the emphatic part of this verse. Are taught of God. Now boy, a lot of confusion over that particular phrase. You know, they use this one, taught of God. You don't need anybody to teach you. The spirit will lead you. Spirit will teach you. And they use this one in connection with it. Every time I hear that phrase, I think of George Washington Carver. Glenn Clark told me it was George Washington Carver who had originated this statement about that he left one section of the garden go so that God could take care of it. And that's the section that all grew up in weeds and had no, no vegetation, no beans, corn, and stuff in it. You're going to let God take care of the garden out there. You're going to have a real opportunity. But if you take care of it with God in Christ in you, that's different. So when they talk about the Spirit teaching you, you let the Spirit teach you, you're going to be in spiritualism, possessed, all the rest of the junk. But if you will cultivate the Word in your life, then with the Spirit of God in you, giving the energy, like the soil, the sunshine, the rain, the, the richness of the soil will grow your onions, your carrots, your peas. Taught of God is one Greek word, and I want to give it to you tonight, made up of two words, but it's really one Greek word. And the word is theodidaktos. T-H-E-O-D-I-D-A-K-T-O-S. T-H-E-O-D-I-D-A-K-T-O-S. This word, singular word in Greek, is made up of two words, theos, T-H-E-O-S, and didaktos. Theos in the New Testament in the Greek is many times comparable to Elohim in Genesis 1-1 and to Jehovah in Genesis 1-2 and following. Most of the Bible scholars through the years have gone with the Theos here as Elohim. I am not quite so convinced. I think perhaps here it's a combination of both Elohim and Jehovah. Old Testament wise. The reason for this is. Look at your verse 9. Taught of God. To love one another. To love one another. With the spirit that we read about in verse 8. Is 
God as Elohim who created the spirit within us in verse 8, but the love is on a horizontal level. That's why it's God in relationship to his creation, which is the love of God and renewed mind manifestation. That's why I think it's in this particular theos, both Elohim and Jehovah. Didactos is simply transliterated into the English language in didactic teacher, taught of God. See, each one who is born again of God's spirit, who has received God's Holy Spirit, is spiritually God instructed. God instructed. How are people God instructed? Okay. The word. Also revelation manifestations. Beyond that. It would have to be phenomenon. The word too. Is the word ice. E-I-S. Meaning unto, unto, love one another. Literally, it would mean unto becoming better and better lovers. Ye yourselves are taught of God unto becoming better and better lovers. Love one another. And this word, Love is the word agapeo, not Philadelphia. The love in first part of verse 9 is Philadelphia. The last one is agapeo. Isn't that terrific? See, you're taught of God. You know God's principles. You've been God instructed. Knowing God's principles and being God instructed, what happens to you? You get to the place where you no longer have phileo for your brother who is born again, but you get to the place that you have agapeo, which is the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. And when you reach that point, then your love for the brethren is the highest it can go. And you no longer play favorites. You no longer do a lot of things you did for brotherly love. Real interesting that this word love, as you can see, is in the present tense, which means it's continuing action. It's just not a one-time deal, and then you settle back on your hunches and say, well, I love everybody now. From now on, it's all over with. It's a continuing action. Verse 10, and, and is a conjunction tying that which preceded with that which follows. Ye do it, indeed ye do it toward all the brethren. And indeed ye do it. Ye do what? Move from phileo to agapeo. Among all the brethren, all of them. This is what I told you in verse 9. The word toward is the same word as in verse 9. It's the word ace. 
the word to preceding love one another. Remember verse 9? This word toward is the same word, same Greek word, ace, which again simply means unto becoming better and better, to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward becoming better and better, greater lovers, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. The only two churches I know mentioned in Macedonia are the ones at Philippi and Berea. Do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia as touching brotherly love for you yourselves taught a God to love one another even in Thessalonica. Because it's so much easier, isn't it, to love someone with the love of God and the renewed mind who doesn't always live with you. You know, it's easier to send missionaries to India and go next door. Yeah. Boy, look at the greatness of that. You do it toward all the brethren which are in all of what? Macedonia. But, how about at home? <laughs> it's so beautifully human. It's just so tremendous to me. You know, you'll lean over backwards to help a total stranger. But someone who has befriended you and has done niceties for you and, you know, blessed, you wouldn't lean over backwards for them. You'd raise hell with them. But the total stranger, you just love them into it. That's what he's saying. He says he wants these people from Berea and from Philippi. You know, you've really poured the love of God and renewed mind on them. But what about in Thessalonica? Where you live with your people day after day after day. But, see, in contrast with how they were treating the brethren from Macedonia, and this is that mild usage of the adversative in contrast. But we beseech, beseech is the same word as in chapter 4, verse 1, exhort. Look at 4.1, see your word exhort. Beseech you, brethren, and exhort. To exhort is to encourage toward what? That's exactly it. Which means keep moving on continuously. Not just continually, but all the time. Again, we go to the word brethren for the second time in the verse. Which again, you know, is just the born again ones. Born again believers. And this is to lovingly encourage, exhort that ye increase. The word increase here is the same word that's translated abound in chapter 4, verse 1. Abound more and more in 4 1. And I taught you it's abounding to the end of overflowing. 
It is to increase, to overflowing more and more. You know why? Because there's always room to increase in the love of God and a renewed mind in manifestation toward your brethren. Because you will never give them too much of the love of God and renewed mind. Nobody can ever get too much of the love of God. I cannot love you too much. You can always take more. You cannot love me too much. I can take more. We fill up with hell real quickly. You know, bad language, raising hell, anger. That, you know, you get it up to here real quick. But when somebody tells you they love you, and they really do with the love of God and a renewed mind, they can tell you right afterwards again, and you just enjoy just much. You never get too much love. That is really great. I think I've taught you that's why the love of money is the root of all evil. Money per se is not the root. It's the love of it. Because once you really love something, you never get enough of it. You never get enough of it. Isn't that a tremendous thing? Beseech you, brethren, that you increase, abound. More and more. More and more in that love one another. The agapeo of verse 9. That's why the and is there and the mild adversative in contrast. Now, verse 11. And, again a conjunction which makes this construction sort of parallel to the preceding. Now he's going to list some beautiful things. For those who are endeavoring to walk with the love of God and the renewed mind, more and more abounding therein, overflowing, study, to be quiet, do your own business, work with your own hands, Walk honestly so you lack nothing. Five great basic truths are going to be set forth. The word study, I want to spell for you again. P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-E-O-M-A-I. Philotimiomai, P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-E-O-M-A-I. Now, this is not the same word as that used in 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says what? Study to show yourself proof. No, no, this is not that word at all. What's the first great commandment? <laughs> Second. Okay. The reason most people don't love their neighbors is because they what? You see. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you don't like your neighbor. So you tell me how much you love yourself. That's what this word study is basically talking about. He's talking about that love business, which is 
I exert myself. Study. The word means to exert, to put forth, you know, discipline, dedication, commitment. I put forth strength from the love that I have for myself. It is to exert oneself from a love of self. How can you really say you love somebody else when you don't even love yourself? It's a bunch of words. Just a bunch of words. Sounds nice, but it's counterfeit. This word study is really terrific. It is to exert oneself from a love of self or from my own self-honor because I honor myself. Self-honor to bring it to pass, to see it come into fruition. If you understand it properly, it means to learn. To learn. And you learn by exerting yourself. Self-honor. Self-respect. Understand? Learn to be quiet. <laughs> oh, shoot, that he should tell us this must be important. <laughs> uh, learn to keep your mouth shut. And that's going to require a little exertion <laughs> for your own self-honor to learn to be quiet. The Greek word is the word H-E-S-U-C-H-A-Z-O. H-E, long E, S-U-C-H-A-Z-O. To be quiet is an infinitive as far as the speech is concerned. And it literally means be at rest. Be at rest. Be at ease within yourself. Reminds me of the scripture, though I be in the midst of hell, he is there. Remember that one? Psalm 139. In the midst of the fiery furnace, three men at ease, at rest. Study to be at rest, at ease. Study to be quiet. And to be quiet means that you've come to the place in your life that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. You no longer have any doubt about it. That's quiet. And until you reach that point, you'll always be shook up over something. When a person finally comes to the place that even though he doesn't understand it all, but he has come to the conclusion that the word of God is the will of God and it's God's only rule of faith and practice. It brings a serenity, a peace, a quietness, and at rest type of thing, which that man or woman will never have till they come to that position. That rest means to rest from labor. Rest from labor, Luke. You know, or in my terminology, rest from stewing about it, fretting. That's right. 
What's the verse in Luke? Luke 2356. 2356 of Luke. What's it say? And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Yeah. Twenty something. After the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. To do your own business is an infinitive, of course, and it means to be occupied with. It's a continuing process. It is not a one-time have done. It's a continuing process. To do means to practice, to mind or pay attention. Your own business, your own thing, your personal affairs. In other words, practice your own affairs. Keep your mind on your own affairs. Pay attention to your own affairs. Quit sticking your nose in everybody else's business. Try to run Maggie Muggins' job for it. That's why previously instead, study to be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. You got enough to do to take care of yourself. You don't have to worry about what shall this man do. Wasn't it, Peter? Uh-huh. When the Lord had told Peter what to do and he looked at somebody else and said, but Lord, that's fine, but what shall this man do? And Jesus sincerely set him straight. He says, none of your business. If I will that he hang in here, okay. Same general essence here. It really takes an application of the principles of God's word to bring you to that place where you keep your nose out of other people's business and shut up. Do your own business, not slothful in business. think it says that in a word, doesn't it? Where? Okay. Take care of your stuff. Practice, mind, pay attention to your own personal affairs. After I finished working this today, I drove past the bicycle racks. We're not taking too good care of our personal affairs but you spend all the money for the bicycle racks and you don't even get them in the rack you lay them down before you get them in you wouldn't believe i saw that did you take care of personal affairs business i know what you're thinking wall street i'm not long before you ever make it to wall street you got other things to take care of Maybe you made it to Wall Street, you wish you were back on the other street. I don't know. But here are the great principles. Boy, they're really beautiful in here. If you ever want an abundance of God's word, you're going to have to practice these principles. I don't care what the world does. I only care what God's word says we have to do. And I know how difficult it is to keep your nose out of other people's business. I know how easy it is to slough off and let things just drift by. Let them lay around. 
end, verse 11, tying this in with to work with your own hands. <laughs> the present tense makes it a standing duty. Not something you do once and then it's forever done for. It's a standing duty to work with your own hands. Pushing a pen could be working with your own hands. Typing a typewriter could be. To work with your own hands means to get into something, do something. Just don't sit around and give the darn orders all the time. Do it yourself. The labor must first be partaker of what? Partaker of the fruit? Say that someplace. Where? What's it say? Husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Right. It's not bad. There's a cross reference on that, maybe. They're running Corinthians or one of the other church epistles. What's it say? Right. Okay, to work with your own hands. When a country, a state, a community, a family reaches a point where they have become so affluent, they think, in life that they no longer need to work with their own hands, that country, that state, that community, that family is on the road down. Remember the Areopagus who daily met there for no other reason but to hear something, what, new. Because in Greek culture at that time, because of their affluence, they had reached a place that if any man had to work for a living, that was a disgrace. He was not high enough on the totem pole to invite to your social affairs. He didn't belong to the right social register. That's right. It was frowned upon by the top leaders in Greece when somebody had to work for a living. In the Bible, Old Testament, age of the Church of the Bride, all the rabbis had to work for a living. That's why Jesus Christ was taught a trade because every man, no matter if he was a rabbi, a teacher, a master, he had to be able to work at something to make his own livelihood so he wouldn't have to live off of the rest of it. Even as, even as, should be in there. We commanded you. And the commanded you does not just apply to work with your own hands. It applies to all those mentioned previously. The word commanded is again charged or told you emphatically previously. See, it already taught them this, but now it was written which again tells me from God's word 
You have to just keep telling people this over and over and over again. And you have to love them with the love of God and the renewed mind to keep building them up to where they reach that spiritual stature which is the furthest they'll ever go with God in this life. Verse 12. That ye may walk. That again is the evidence, the walk. Study to be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your hands. That's all walking. You understand? Because the word walk is example. In good form or in good fashion. That ye may be an example in good fashion. In good form. In other words, let them see you. This is what I mean when I say throw your shoulders back and let them see a woman of God again. Let them see a man of God. That's what I mean. Same usage here in Thessalonians that you may walk honestly. The word honestly is becomingly. That you can walk as it becomes one who has the fullness of the spirit in him. The Greek word is spelled E-U-S-C-H-E. M-O-N-O-S E-U-S-C-H-E Long E M-O-N-O-S Long O That's made up of two words E-U is the first word Means well W-E-L-L -L. The second word is the word Schema S-C-H-E-M-A From which we get the English word what? To scheme. And to scheme is just the opposite meaning today as the word honestly. Just opposite. It's scheming. You see, every time man gets a hold of a word, he degrades it. But when God used it in all of its beauty, it is to walk with a well form or a well fashion. Becomingly. In India, when, whenever a person had a developed program to present, that was always called a scheme. In English, they always referred it, what is your scheme? It still carried that high connotation of something that had been well thought through, planned. That ye walk, or that your example is in well form, good fashion, because believers dare never be indifferent to the impact that's produced by our example. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian, I don't care. That would not be the love of God and the renewed mind. You and I just never dare be indifferent to the impact that is produced by our example toward 
It is the word pros, P-R-O-S, not ace. Pros, with a view toward. With a view toward. Them without. The way they lived would influence those without. Isn't that something? Walk with a beautiful form, beautiful fashion, beautiful example. With a view, with a view, always looking with a view toward those on the outside. How will they see you? How will they respect you? How will they respond to you? How will they reciprocate to your invitation? Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 7 about the unbelieving wife and the believing husband and vice versa. It tells the believer to be an example and win that other person by that example. It's the same essence as this one here in verse 12. Same truth. With a view toward those that are without. Without meaning outside of the pale of the brethren. Read me 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. What have I to do to judge them also that are without? And not to judge them that are within? Them that are without God judge. Therefore put away from among themselves that Right, because if that wicked person is in the midst, what's the testimony to the outside? Quite sharp, isn't it? That we are an example to them that are without. Now read me Colossians 4, 5. Walking wisdom for them that are without. Okay, walk how? Not stupidly and not just throwing everything to the wind. But walk in how? Wisdom. So that when the people see you, they see Christ. First Timothy 3.7 Used to be nice to be we're well in school. You always got to sit in the back row. Never call on you. Okay, now to them that are without a good report, it doesn't mean they fully agree, but they have respect for you. That's what it means. You're not a fly-by-night nincompoop. They've got respect for your integrity, your commitment, your dedication, this kind of thing. And that ye may have lack of nothing. That ye may have need of. This is the genitive of the thing needed. Which makes it very interesting. That ye have need of nothing. Now wait a minute. That literally would contradict the rest of the word if you take it just as it's written without an understanding of the word. You have need of nothing. The word teaches that I have need of you as my brother and sister. 
You have need of no one or nothing. See, no one is also one of the texts. That's not true. Can you take care of milking the cows so you get the milk? Harvesting the grain so you can have the bread? Tapping the rubber trees so you can have an automobile tire? No. All of us need others, right? So this verse that ye may have need of nothing, like nothing, is not to isolate our thinking that I am my own, nuts to everybody else, I don't need you, attitude. Everybody needs a lot of people. Oh, it's so simple, isn't it? Here there's water in this glass. Somebody had to make the glass. Somebody had to get the materials together to make it. Somebody had to go get the water. We all need each other. Now put that in the greatness of the body of the church. And it takes on a totally new dimension. You so walk circumspectly, beautifully. With a view toward those who are without. And in alignment with this conjunction. That you have need of nothing. The word nothing here can either be masculine or neuter in gender. A lot of the Bible scholars go with the masculine. I do not. I think it's neuter. Which simply means to make proper provisions for themselves and their families by personal labor. That puts it in the neuter. And that's what I think we're talking about. Not that I do not need you. Not that I do not need the man who milks the cow, who delivers the tire, who makes the engines. But that I will lack, have need of nothing because I will properly provide for myself my family, by my personal efforts, by putting my labor into it. To work with your own hands, verse 11, see that? Here it is again in a different light, however. That ye may lack of nothing. The word says if you don't work, you don't what? Where does it say that? Second Thessalonians 3.10. Where is that Old Testament scripture that says God's people, he's never seen one that had to beg bread. Psalm what? Psalm 37.25. The word says if you don't work, you don't eat. Anybody who deliberately lives off of the generosity of another believer, they are never living the love of God and the renewed mind in manifestation. Anybody 
who deliberately lives off of the generosity of others, they are not living in the love of Christ. In other words, if I am a financial crash pad for someone who doesn't want to work, who deliberately lives off of my generosity or yours, that's wrong. That's contrary to God's word, and what's contrary to God's word is contrary to God's will, and what's contrary to God's will is sin. It's wrong. It's error. Has to then come from the other source, devil. He said in Philippians 4, 19, that he would supply all of our what? According to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, but not if you sleep in all day. Not if you expect the garden to grow onions when you don't plant any onions. You're not going to supply your needs. You're going to starve there. You're never going to know God's word either until you put forth the effort to know it. Just grew up in weeds. That's why for most people, the word of God or the Bible is just weeds. Never cultivated it to understand it. 